0: og velkommen til min podcast, Borgs i Hjertet. Afsnit, øh, ja, det bliver så nummer 56, til er sådan en lille vinterspecial, øh, som jeg øh, egentlig har er mega, mega til fordi at øh, det øh, via min kære fætter, Mr. Everbeen Kaffe, fra et afsnit, er blevet muligt at blive hugt op med Roland Heiler, hede fra Østrig. Er egentlig, han er egentlig opvokset lige ved siden af Porsche med Mercedes nede i Stuttgart, men øh, jeg ja, bor i den dag i dag nede ved Salamsee. Meget tæt på, hvor de kører Ice Race og ja, Gråsklygten og Bjerg og alt muligt andet lækkert. Øh, han er jo en legende, og øh, det var en kæmpe fornøjelse at snakke med ham. Jeg, øh, jamen, jeg blev egentlig lidt øh, baffled, og, og for det kan man nok også høre på mig. Det, at, det, det, det er et kæmpe optur, fordi at han, øh, ja, han som øh, bliver ansat ind i Porsche, på sådan en en speciel aftale, som han selv kan fortælle om, det er i 1977, og for mig er det jo der, hvor det piker. Øh, de 30 turbo, er lige kom på, på banen, de arbejder med 924, øh, 28. Øh, jamen det de piker bare ved Porsche, 100 tonel af og, øh, Kommer møder han også øh, ude på lidt og jamen, I skal høre om øh, fantastisk rejse igennem øh, Porsche-Porsches historie fra en mand der har øh, siddet øh, med til nogle rigtig fede ting. Audi A er S to projektet øh, Porsche 968. og så var der noget med at de år 2000 begyndte at kigge på øh, projekter senere kom til
1: Carrera G T.
0: Ja, jeg synes bare I skal lytte med det er på engelsk. Men det er fedt alligevel. Uh, Roland is so good uh, tysk, uh, fordi han har boet i en uh, ja, del over i Californien. Han har også læst over i London. Så so, ja, yeah. enough said. Uh, Roland Heiler. Værsgo. Hello Roland Heiler, and, and welcome to this uh, podcast. Hello. <laughs> we we try again. And thank you uh, for taking precious time. It's it's Saturday evening and I am I'm very honored. I'm very flattered and I'm extremely um, pleased that you can uh, be with me on this podcast uh, this uh, Saturday evening or afternoon.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: So uh, we have a uh, we've been connected through uh, it's a, it's a little special uh, story. I'm not I'm not going to elaborate on, on on that one, but you have a uh, you have a uh, well, you have a special uh, history in the Porsche family, in the Porsche community. But can uh, can we maybe begin uh, with you telling me just a little bit about uh, the first time that you became aware of this uh, extremely nice brand and these special cars from Sufenhausen?
2: Sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, you, it, it's it's probably... Uh, not so untypical for people who grew up in the area near Stuttgart where I grew up uh, which is maybe about three kilometers uh, from the from the Porsche factory that young boys were fascinated by that brand in the neighborhood so to speak yes um, uh, my my family grew up in, in in Baden-württemberg which is basically where Stuttgart is uh, located and Stuttgart is the capital of Baden-württemberg yeah and and um, and, and and there are two car companies. Uh, one is Porsche. One is Mercedes. Yes.
1: Um,
2: si- size wise, they were very different, uh, and they're still today. Um, but uh, while my father was a Mercedes man uh, all the time, yeah. um, maybe maybe not out of opposition, but uh, but just because it was more appealing to me than the large cars uh, that Mercedes built, I was always. Uh, I was always into Porsches, and I think that the very first encounter with a Porsche that I remember was in the Bavarian Alps when my parents took us to a summer vacation in the mountains. Yes, and uh, and we were staying in a little pension. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and I'm coming out of of the building, and in the parking lot, which was opposite the building. Uh, there was a red 356 Ooh. Porsche part. Yes. And uh, it was already, I think it must have already been um, 1964 or 65, so the 911 was already out, but there were not too many of those cars around yet. No. And, uh, and, and I remember I saw this car, and then the moment we, the moment we came out of the hotel, the owner, a very sporty looking young guy, the young man, so to speak, for me, he was old, but he, but I think it was a young man. it was like maybe in his thirties or something like that. Yeah. he came out and he walked over to that he walked over to that car, got into it, and took off in that red three fifty six and I think that was a, that triggered something in my brain um that uh, you know i I wanted this car, I wanted something like that, yeah. And, uh, yeah, this was, the first, this was the first encounter. And then, of course, the, the interest was there, and I grew up, and I got, got older, and, and uh, you know, the, the interest in cars um, yeah. was always there. When I turned 50, my brother made a little film which was titled Autokind, so I think that says it all. So it was basically basically my, my central interest since I was very young.
1: Yeah.
0: Did you, uh, did you sort of... Um Form your 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 educational way towards uh, cars, and and did you know that at some point uh, you'd be working with the with a car brand, or, or or how how was the thinking going on when you were in primary school?
2: I did, I did actually. I uh, what was in my mind when I was uh, an early teenager, because I didn't really know how things in those car companies worked. Mm. I, I was going I was going to be an engineer. I was going to be a body engineer, specifically body engineer, because I was all, always interested in in designing the form of yeah. a car. That, that was the part that, that that fascinated me maybe more than what was under the hood. Yeah. Um, and this this uh, this desire to to uh, design the aesthetics of cars. I thought it it would be it would be a logical step to become a body engineer. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: then my father gave me a book written by Arthur Haley. Yeah. Uh, which was called Wheels, yeah. and um, I think the book is probably 30, 50 years old now. Um, it was a fascinating um, novel that took place in the world of. The big American automobile manufacturers, mm. and it, it didn't—it didn't call out one of the three names, but I think the—I uh, think it was about GM. I, I can't remember exactly, but uh, it was probably the closest—the closest thing to GM. Yeah. It was a fictitious uh, company, of course. Yeah. But um, there was one guy. His, his name was Brett Delosanto. He had this uh, sort of. Uh, exotic name and he was the chief designer of that company and this book actually was the reason for me to understand that the shapes for cars are not made by engineers they're actually made by specific designers who work in a specific department yeah. the so called styling studio
1: yeah.
2: and, uh, and then my decision was clear, okay I need to switch from Wanting to become a body engineer to becoming a designer.
0: Okay, but uh, when, when uh, how how do you um, what 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 path is that? Is that the university is a, it is a it's a brand brand of or branch of engineering or is it uh, like in Denmark or maybe not Ow. Denmark? But but I've talked to other people who have been through more of architectural uh, design pathway. But but
2: how? No, no it's, it's like it's a little bit like architecture. You have to go to universities yes. and to take a course. With the exception that, um, uh, with the exception that there are not many schools who teach automotive design. There, when I was when I was at the age to actually join a university, there was basically one school in Europe, which was the Royal College of Art in London, which I joined later on. Um, And there was another famous school in Pasadena, California, which was Art Center College of Design. And other than those two schools, there wasn't much around. There were some schools, I think, in Italy, but they were not very well known to Mm. non-Italians, where you could do a course that was probably a mixture of architecture and automotive design or, or product design. I don't know exactly. Those schools were never easy to, 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 to understand, uh, in their, in their, uh, you know, educational program, no. but the two other schools, the art center and the Royal college of art, they were both dedicated, um, for the they were general art schools, but they had a dedicated course for automotive design anyway. So, but my career started differently when I, I was a very bad student uh, at, at, you know, at school. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't wait to get out, you know. So when I finally graduated and got out of school, I didn't want to go to school for a long time. That was a decision because I didn't like it so much. Mm. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to do an apprenticeship yeah. uh, as a as a car mechanic. Ah. And so I applied at Porsche. Yeah. Um uh and uh I also spoke to a man who was, the, who was a neighbor and who was very involved with Porsche, and he knew a lot of people, and you know, he was interesting because he was, uh, he was uh, in his 70s already, but he was very open to young people,
1: yeah.
2: um, and so we walked uh, in our neighborhoods uh, together, uh, and believe it or not, the, the animal he walked was a turtle. um i'm not kidding he he used to he was married to a lady from thailand uh and uh and on and he used to drive to thailand in his porsche every two years (laughs) okay and on on one of the on one of the trips on the way back uh they came through as an area in middle east a, a deserty area and they saw uh you know in the distance on the road they saw in the, in the in a very in a very hot on a very hot day in a hot climate there they saw this turtle lying on its back so they picked up the turtle
0: of course <laughs> uh,
2: named it Hassan <laughs> and uh, took it home as a pet oh my god and uh, and and the, the man's name was Gilan Case. he used to be the private uh, secretary of uh, of Ferdinand Porsche um, okay. and uh, and and so when I walked in the neighborhood with him, I was seventeen at the time, and he was over seventy. Yeah,
1: he
2: told me he told me a lot of the history uh, from the very beginning, and then I, of course, I was like a dry sponge. I listened; I couldn't get enough of that. Exactly. And when I applied for an apprenticeship, Gila and Case actually talked to the guy who was responsible for the for the education uh, educational department the, the apprentices at Porsche. And he came back and he said, ah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's no spot for a car mechanic open anymore. Yeah. But one person who was going to become uh, an apprentice for technic- as a technical draftsman, yes. uh, he, he actually uh, jumped off the boat. Wow. And, uh, and you could have that spot if you want. And you know what I would recommend you to do? I would recommend you to take that spot because you need to get your foot in the door. What you do after that, you know, is a different story. Yes. So I took his advice. Wow. And took that spot and became uh, or entered uh, an apprenticeship as a technical craftsman. Wow. And this is how I got into Porsche. Yeah. Um, in, this was in
1: 1977.
2: Okay. So this education took two and a half years or three years roughly three years yes I think I, I think I got a, a a little bit time off because I had a um, I had good grades and stuff like that so mm. um, I think I, I think I finished after two and a half years yeah. um, but but what's more important is um, it started in the workshop in Souffenhausen you know, right in the, it's inside the factory premises yeah. Um, but after half a year, the technical draughtsmen were actually transferred to the research and development center to Weissach because that's where all the drawing boards were. Yes, and that's where the departments. And so, so our uh, department for education was inside the uh, inside the design the design department for suspension. So uh, we, were, we were surrounded by, I would say, certainly uh, maybe close to 100 engineers who were just working in that same office. And, uh, and, we, and we contributed to, you know, as, as young draftsmen, we got jobs uh, uh, that were actually part of development jobs, you know? So we drew parts, small parts in the beginning and later on it became a little bit more complex. Yeah. But the most important thing for me then was that I was in the place where the design studio was located too. Yeah. Um, the design studio was a very secretive place at the time. It, it was the only, the only part of the building that had a keyboard at the door and you needed to know the code to get in. Yes, and so so this was completely closed off to everybody else. Even the engineers couldn't get in there, Only and Tony so uh, <laughs> pardon.
0: Only Tony Lapin could get in.
2: <laughs> well, Tony Lapin <laughs> definitely could get in, and Tony Lapin is a good is a good uh, name to mention here because, uh, as stupid as this might sound, but one day in the men's room, <laughs> I was I was I was standing next to Tony. Okay. <laughs> And he and he looks over and and uh, he says something uh, uh, you know along the lines of, uh, "Hey, are you a motorcycle crazy guy or something like that?" Because I used to keep on my leather pants because I used to ride my BMW motorcycle to work every day.
1: Yeah,
2: and I kept on the leather pants, and he saw that you know, and 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 I had red Giucci boots at the time, so the whole thing looked a little crazy, maybe. <laughs> but um, uh, I said no not really but I'm actually looking for an old car right now it was I think it was fall and uh, and uh, of course in winter you can't ride a bike So yes, I was looking for an old for an old second hand car so this is what I said to him Yeah, I knew who he was I, I was a little embarrassed you know that he was talking to me while we were both doing our thing there you know yes <laughs> and, and so so um, he said ah oh, you're looking for an old car so let me show you an old car yes come on so after washing the hands, we walked out and we walked through that door with the, you know, with oh, the keyboard. Yes. Okay. For the, for the first time in my life. Wow. So then right after the entrance on the left-hand side <clears throat> was his office. Yes. Is he, he had a remarkable office because the carpet was grass green. Wow. I mean, I'm talking about fluorescent green. Yeah. <laughs> and, and on the carpet... Was a half-finished chassis of a MGTC with, if I recall it correctly, a Fiat motor in it and an Alfa Romeo rear axle. Wow. Of course, much many more horsepowers uh, and much more performance than the original uh, MGTC used to have. Yeah, and and he was in the middle of um, he was in the middle of uh, building this thing yes and it struck me because here's the guy who is head of design at porsche and he is restoring an mg in his office okay yeah so that was very very uh uh, if you want Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so anyway uh after a few minutes i noticed uh, what he needed me for, because he was actually he was actually trying to draw some templates, and he needed he needed somebody to hold it against the car. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And uh, and so then I pointed downstairs. Yeah. There was a couple of steps down, and then there was a long corridor, and I uh, and it looked like uh, the studios were left and right of that corridor.
1: Yeah.
2: So I said, "And what's going on down there?" You know, cheeky. Uh? Yeah. And he said next time <laughs> so, so then he complimented me out of the studio again but it was the, it was the first step in you know it was the first step in, yeah
1: but
0: it's but so, yeah then then but it's amazing because i uh, i didn't tell you this but but i also i also had tony's son hans lapine on this podcast uh, last year we we talked for 2 huh? hours he talked he told me uh, you know the whole uh, story of his father uh, living in, uh, in, in you know, in the home country and building uh, special race cars for for GM and then Porsche. You know this story about he 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 wanted to work for Porsche, so he developed this special car that could uh, you know run faster than their cars, and then suddenly they moved to uh, to. The, I mean, Hans must have is he not the same age as you? Because he was working in. Uh, he was working with Porsche in the in the early in the early 80s. So so that. Yeah, Hans is,
2: Hans is Hans is pretty much exactly the same age as me. Yes, yeah. I know Hans very well.
0: Yes, yeah. yes, I remember because that, that and it's it's uh, it's just you know to hear these stories for me. I, I am from 1976 and you know I have, I'm a big fan of uh, Hans Lapin. I have one of the very early 928s and uh, you know also the 924 Carrier G car. So, so I'm just a huge uh, Lapin fan. So. So this story is just—I mean, it's insane to for you to to come into this.
2: Uh, yeah, this fact. Hans looks just like uh, Hans now looks just like his dad. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I saw him at Rennsport reunion. Yes. Um. Yeah. Uh, in 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 September. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the guy looks like <laughs> a copy of his father. Unbelievable. Yeah. And he also he has the same kind of uh, your sayings and uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's almost like a déjà vu yeah. thing, you know. <laughs>
0: It's a copy cloning.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, but but, but he's uh, and he's all he's got the same interest. I mean, he's racing Porsches, and I think he was uh, he was actually racing a nine twenty four uh, Carrera GT or something similar uh, in, in, in in Laguna Seca. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and he also uh, just just another funny story about about Hans. He told me that when he was a, a kid. Uh, his father would punish him if, if he wasn't doing his homework or doing things the you know the correct way. He would uh, the punishment would be that he would be sitting in the garage uh, and assembling uh, the the Fuhrman engine. So he can now assemble uh, and uh, disassemble the firm, uh, Fuhrman engine in uh, in his sleep, which is something that uh, I don't know. I know three or four people who can do the same. Uh, we have uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely not many people who can do that. So that's for sure. No, no, no. So no that's another story but uh, amazing so you were actually now inside the inside the Porsche factory your 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 education was sort of uh, set
2: Yeah the education was the first step and then while I was an apprentice yeah um this idea of becoming a designer and you know formed more and more and then one day Tony Lapine I think I saw him in a canteen or somewhere yeah and I asked him I, or I th- actually, I think I visited him in his in his office. It was an official request for 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 a conversation, and I and I asked him, "I would like to become a car designer. What do I need to do?" And he said, "Well, um, even if you're talented, you need an education." Yeah. You know, and so um, there was already one guy who had been at Porsche a few years before me, and he had a, he had a scholarship for the Royal College of Art for, from Porsche. This was the first time yeah. um, uh, Porsche ever did something like that. His name was funny enough, his first name was also Roland, but his family name was Sternmann, Roland Sternmann, um, and he, he, was, he sort of had already paved the way for this kind of uh, sponsorship uh, of a student by Porsche. So, And I had heard about that. So I asked Tony Lopin, is it possible to go that, to, to, to go that route, you know? And he said, well, um, let's see, you know, you need a portfolio and so on. You need to apply, you know, even if we, even if we sponsor you, you need to do your own uh, application there, you know? So, Mm uh, what I, what I did and what, what was the agreement then, um, after my apprenticeship was over, I was allowed into the studio for, I think it was about three months yeah. during the summer. So it was kind of a practicum type of thing, the, you know, an uh, 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 internship. And, uh, uh, and, and during this time, Richard Soderbergh, um, unfortunately, had passed away a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, Richard Soderbergh, one of the most talented people I had ever met in my life. Yeah. Uh, he was assigned to kind of look after me a little bit you know, and, and teach me stuff and so on and so, and so forth. And and during that period of time, I did my portfolio, put my portfolio together and sent it to the Royal College of Art. And uh, long story short, I was accepted. And in 1980, in fall 1980, I actually uh, started um, as a student there. Okay. And, and yeah, and, and I, had a, I had an interesting contract with Porsche. Uh, they said they will finance my studies, but I will have to pay back 50% <laughs> after I return, and I have to work for Porsche for at least two years after that, and I have to pay back the, the, the student fee yeah. uh, in form of 10% of my income every month. Okay. So I think nowadays a lot of kids would be happy if they had a contract yes. that, that, that that actually says you have to work yeah. uh, for this company for two years afterwards, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids just uh, get internships and are not paid and stuff like that, you know, nowadays. I don't think that's a good culture to be honest.
0: No. No, this is a very responsible way to do it also. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the beginning yeah, yeah. wow and and what uh, w- were you involved in in um, the 924 uh, 928 uh, but no you can't have been because they were already done in the 1980s but what
2: no uh, 928 i was involved in the 928 gts that was my project um okay. wow uh the the the, the last the last version of the nine to eight.
1: Yes, yes, I
2: know. And it, it was it was it was quite a challenge of, uh, in design because you know the shape of the nine to eight. You know the long door.
1: Yes.
2: And uh, and then the, the what we what we what we wanted to do was to have those this beautiful language that the front fenders of the 928 to eight had. You know, with this with this very soft flare. Yes. Yes. Uh, very sculptural approach. Yeah, we always felt that the rear end of the car looked a little weak in comparison to the front. It was a little bit less entertaining, and it didn't have an, uh, you know the same sort of form yeah. form factor. Yeah. So we definitely wanted to widen the track and and flare those rear fenders in a very similar manner as the front ones were. Yeah. And but the door was so long that there was basically no transition um, space. Uh, for, you know for a soft transition into a wider fender. yeah um, so what we did is actually something pretty radical we where that door ends where the shut line of the door ends we actually created a a, um, a, a, a in the in, in in the surface
1: yeah
2: so we started at a different angle behind the door ah. but it works yeah. you know it looks amazing it was a li- it was a little adventurous at the time because it wasn't really the sort of philosophy that, that, that the front fender had, but no. there was simply no space. But when you look at the car, it looks quite, it looks quite right, so it's, it's okay, you know. Yeah. But it was, it was a lot of experimenting at the time. Yeah, that was one of the projects I was involved with. Um, I was also involved with the 968. Um, first the a 944 Cabriolet, and then later on the 968. Yes. And, and and funny enough, before you ask, I can tell you, I never worked on the 911, no, no, no. <laughs> which, is, which is the car that I went to Porsche <laughs> for, you know, but I never worked on the 911.
0: <laughs> but uh, uh, they were also trying to kill it. So, of course. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, but there was, you know, the, the, the 964 was developed when I was already in the studio and the, the, and the turbo versions and the 993, which was designed by Tony Hatter. Yes. Um, uh, and, and, and so there was always 911 stuff going on, but for some reason I was never working in the studio that was working on 911s. No, (laughs) but that's. uh... No, it just didn't, didn't work out that way. No. But maybe, maybe it was a good thing for the 911.
0: You can still make it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm doing it in a small way on my private modifications, you know.
0: But um, yeah. yeah, what? But what? Uh, what? What were you involved in on the
2: 968? nine six eight? Nine six eight. I had uh, two areas. I was involved with the rear end. Yes. And I was involved. I was pretty much in charge of the engine design of the nine six eight. This is the first time Porsche. Wanted to um, pay a lot of attention to the to the engine compartment because it started looking, you know, like a lot of spaghetti's in there. There's more and more wiring and stuff, and it was kind of a little bit out of order. Yeah, and so we 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 tried to clean up the entire space. Um, mm. um, the centerpiece, of course, was the air intake, and on top of the air intake. Was this uh, this element that covers uh, the uh, the cables for the for the ignition? Yeah, um, and, uh, <clears throat> and that was one of the cleanup areas. And then there was a, around the outside of the engine compartment, there was a lot of um, plastic parts that needed yeah. attention, and, and and so everything looked a little bit more cleaned up and nicely organized, and kind of suggested yeah. a good, nice. Technical solution that was expressed by a nice look, you know, so to speak. And uh, yeah, and the front end of that car was done by a designer named Ranjit Bambra, who was a colleague of mine back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I would say, in retrospect, he had the biggest challenge of, 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 of us all because to the, 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 the objective was. To give the 944, uh, the four-cylinder uh, lineup, a, more of a 911 look by actually having visible round headlights. Yeah. But the constraints and restrictions to actually get those headlights in there, mm-hmm. uh, they were so incredibly difficult. Plus, I think we needed to keep the, the hood, and uh, and so you know, it, it, basically that whole area of the of the headlights. Was surrounded by restrictions, yeah. and to to then come up with a halfway decent looking front end, which is a very important element of a car, yeah. um, was a big challenge. But I have to say, I mean, Renchi did a pretty good job on that thing. Oh, yes. uh, it, was, it was. It It became it became a nice looking car. At the end of the day, they. I think it wasn't built in, in, in high volume. Um, no. because Porsche decided to. Uh, not to continue the the four cylinder uh, series, but it's a. I'm I'm really happy because a good friend of mine and, and colleague over the last twenty years um, uh, just bought a 968 in extremely good condition. Yes, but it, and uh, it's just nice to have one in Selimsee. <laughs>
0: yeah, but they I, I've had i I've had one for a year in in the special color Tahoe blue. Uh, ah, okay. Um, and uh, you know we have a garage uh, like yours but not not as cool as yours but in uh, close to me where where one of uh, one of the guys who is also uh, selling a lot of parts uh, original Porsche parts he actually has uh, two of them so so we uh, we uh, have a little club where we are extremely uh, you know uh, we are very big fans of the Transax cars and the 968 is I think it's one of the best driving cars they've they've ever built in my in my opinion but uh, and beautiful.
2: Absolutely, no. The nine sixty eight was. Wow. It wasn't only the last one of that of that uh, four cylinder series. It was also the most mature and, and and most reliable one. It was. It was a cool car. It was a good car. I drove many nine nine forty fours when I was working at Porsche at the time, and I always liked it. You know, I had a nine sixty eight. I had a <laughs> a nine sixty eight Cabriolet yeah. in. I don't know what the color was. It was, it was purple. And uh, no, it wasn't ruby. Ruby is more, more magenta. It was actually really purple. I think it was a color sample car. Wow. The inside was um, beautiful gray, and so was the roof. And the whole combination looked fantastic. Yeah. It was kind of a light a light gray. And it was parked in front of my house, which was on a street that went downhill quite steep. Yes, and um, I was—I think I was on a business trip in America—and my wife calls me and she says, "Don't get angry or anything. (laughs) Somebody just rear-ended your car in a way where the car was then like ten meters further forward. Oh no! Um, And it turned out that this poor little girl who just had acquired her driving license yes. um just didn't didn't pay attention because she was looking at the cassette recorder or something inside the car yep. and completely smashed into this car and apparently she was she was absolutely out of her mind about this and she was crying so and I was very I was very happy that my wife was there because she's very good at uh, calming the uh, situations like that down you know and she took the girl in and she gave her something to drink and she called her mom and everything but that, wow. was, that was the end of that uh, 968
0: yeah. <laughs> oh my god and you never had one again
2: no I didn't have <laughs> one again I had uh, the next car after that was a 928. Oh,
0: yes. The, is that the S4, the uh, time-wise?
2: The uh, uh, first one was the S4. Yeah. And that was a black one. And then I got lucky. I actually was able to get the prototype for the GTS as a, as a lease car. Wow. You know, as my, as my personal lease car. So that was also interesting because oh. people who knew the 928, they they spotted immediately that this was different. Yes. You know? And I remember I, I, we did a project with the students in Beve, which was the Art Center College of Design, um, yeah. the Swiss branch of, 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 of the American college, of the Californian college.
1: Yeah.
2: We did a project, and I, was, I drove down there with this car, and of course, uh, there were a lot of car design students and so on. Yeah. So um, I parked in the, in, the, in the car park, and uh, many years later, uh, Luke Donkerwolke, who was working at Audi in my department, I I, I, I did three years at Audi as uh, head of exterior design between ninety seven and two thousand, um, and Luke was working was working in that in the same department. <coughs> yes, and and he showed me pictures of my car parked in Wivi on the car park, which he <laughs> took because the car looked different than the ninth
0: did at the time. Yes. Yeah.
2: But yeah, how, I was telling.
0: How many prototypes uh, did you build for the GTS? Or did they build, or you, they?
2: <laughs> they only built, they, we only built one.
0: And that was your car?
2: That was my car. It was actually Amethyst Metallic.
0: Wow, amazing color. Yeah, it
2: was, a very, it was a pretty wild color. Wow. But but it, but it was only one, one that was done in sheet metal, just to have a driving example of that design of the rear end. You know,
1: yeah,
2: but and then once once it had served its purpose of being shown to the board of directors and you know signed off the design was signed off, and everything, then the car was more or less available, and I got wind of that and um, asked my boss uh, who was harmless guy at the time, yeah uh if I could have this car, and uh, uh, I, he was uh, <laughs> he hesitated a little bit, but then he said, yes.
0: Wow, and but it 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 is ve- It's just a bit. It's a bit funny because uh, another guest of this postca- post uh, post uh, podcast called Søren Essendrop. He's a Danish car designer. He's uh, one of his friends is you know Anders Warming, uh, who's been with um, BMW, and I think he's now the the head of Rolls Royce uh, design department. Okay, U- he told me that he was in uh, when he did his uh, car design education. He he did it. I'm pretty sure it was in Switzerland, and he told me that uh, he met Tony LePin once because he was there to uh, teach, you, you know, do, yeah. do like a class. And he was he was there in a very special colored nine two eight, and he was pretty sure it was a GTS. Did Tony LePin also have this car?
2: No, no. But Tony had a nine two eight that was remarkable in a different way. Okay, his car was actually his car was actually black, ah. But, the interior was a complete fluorescent green leather interior. yes, so when you saw that car drive by, you were actually thinking you thought that the interior was glowing, you know something there was some 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 radiation coming from the interior. Uh, it, it was it was a crazy car it, it, and it but it was such an incredibly uh, interesting looking car because. It's the only car that I remember where the interior was actually shining, outshining the exterior. Yeah. Oh my God.
1: Even
2: from the outside, that was cool. It was a very cool car. Later on, one of the, I think one of the, um, uh, uh, one of the contractors. Yeah. Maybe he was an employed modeler at the time, or maybe he was a contractor. But one of the contractors actually purchased this car after Tony gave it back to, to the company. Okay. Uh, he purchased this car and 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 I saw the car again he, he drove it
0: yeah wow okay
2: maybe it was that car that was yeah. that was spotted in Bebe, you know maybe,
0: but but Cern, who also uh, he's a he's a car collector he has a, i think he has 4 or 5 928s uh, now uh, he he was very impressed with with this uh, special uh, edition I, and uh yeah there was something about the color that just made him uh, go insane and but
2: yeah yeah i mean on the other hand you know tony had access to to cars uh, at porsche yeah uh for, for such trips and it could have could also be have been another car
0: yeah and i, I uh, uh, his uh, hands also told me that he used to uh, drive a lot of the 928s no, no sorry 924 turbos then he would go to the the tuning guys. That's make, correct. Make them, you know, tune the hell out of it, and then he would scare people on the autobahn.
2: <laughs> yeah, he liked that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, no, and I remember when he, he, he you know, it, that was very interesting, because Tony was really into driving, and and he was into, yeah. uh, like you said, he was into the sort of uh, the wolf in sheepskin type of thing, you know, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the 924 Turbo, Um, was such a car because it looked kind of narrow and it didn't look so different from the regular 924 except for some little air intakes in the front and stuff like that but the only differentiation was the two-tone paint job that they had and I I, I find it still amazing that he got that into production you know I mean some some cars (laughs) Some cars looked a little bit like, uh, you know, a company car of Coca Cola. I remember uh, <laughs> I saw him driving around with red and silver, you know. Yeah. Um. And but but Tony's car was very tasteful. Yeah. Uh, one more one model I remember was uh, a very nice anthracite uh, combined with with silver. Yeah. Uh, and 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 inside was a uh, a, a like a Harris tweed. Yeah, um, fabric interior, beautifully looking, uh, very tasteful, very tasteful, and all of the grays were a little bit in the warm, in the warm area. So yeah, yeah but those cars were fast.
1: Yeah,
0: he, he was. It sounds like he he. The color wise, is is he responsible for for those um, extremely? I really like the the seventies colors, but it, I think the, I know that the, of course all. Yeah, I guess three fifty six. You, you can also have them in, in some special colors, but it's like you know the seventies. Uh, they are spectacular color wise, and uh, the hippies and no, se- but
2: seventies colors came from Tony's department. That's for sure. Yeah, that's his. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was there from sixty nine, so definitely yeah. all the later seventy colors came from him. And he was also he was he, he liked to do things uh, unusual things. You know, maybe. For example, this you remember this pasha thing in the nine twenty eight, and, and you know yeah. the pasha or the pasha uh, a pattern. Wait,
0: so I know it very well. <laughs> well
2: there you go. Yeah. I mean, that was. Uh, I mean, you almost needed sunglasses when yeah. that came out, you know, because yeah. this was such a psychedelic looking pattern based on the checkered flag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then uh, taken from a from a from a tight uh, a, a tight pattern to a wider pattern, you know, and it's kind of this this merging. Um, this merging effect that that uh, that uh, that looks so special on this,
1: like
2: um, drugs, <laughs> a, a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but wow. I think this was all cool stuff in the seventies, and also the department chiefs they drove their nine elevens 11s with uh, crazy colors on them. I remember. I think it was Wolfgang Mewes, or was it Dick Soderbergh, who actually had um, a nine eleven painted in signal red. I'm talking about the red. I'm talking about that signal orange that you find on fire trucks and uh, ambulances, you know? Yeah. The whole car was painted like that.
0: <laughs> Move out of the way, that's what it's signaling on the autobahn, the I guess. <laughs> yeah, in those
2: days, that was still okay to do that, you know, also to flash your lights. If you do that nowadays, you know that's not something that's not very <laughs> it's not considered very friendly anymore That's you know?
0: not the first Tesla collar on the scheme let's say that
2: yeah it's, uh, yeah things, times have changed I mean this is
0: yes yes
2: yes uh, one thing is for sure I mean I'm, I'm not one of those guys who says it was all better back in the old days you know but some things were a little bit easier and freer back yeah. then you know N- things were not as regulated as they are today oh.
0: But I also think a lot of uh, the, especially the air-cooled uh, guys, uh, have uh, a very nice tendency to, you know, sort of pay homage to to these colors with with um, when they do, when they repaint their cars or do customized versions. I think uh, I think just that this color scheme and it it has its um, you know it has its own right, and I think a lot of a lot of people are buying cars to uh, well to pay homage and because they want to. They want to have cars that uh, you'll bring them back.
2: To yeah, and I must things. say I'm also glad. Uh, I'm glad to see that we've we've gone beyond this very puristic approach of, oh, you need to keep your car original and everything, you know. Yes. I mean, how, how beautiful is this scene that you have now mm. where, you know, people um, individualize their 911s to their own taste yeah. or to a, a scheme that was there in the past or something like that but there's a certain liberty now you know to to do with the nine eleven what you feel suits it yeah. okay yeah. and I remember, I remember when this was completely banned you know oh no what, yeah. what, wait a minute yeah. outlaw no 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 you know yeah I mean look at look at a guy like Rod Emery I mean he's he have been doing this for a long time, you know. I mean, he was so ahead of his time, and now his cars are so valuable. It's
0: unbelievable. Yes, yes, it's ex- exactly. It's. Um, don't you also think that uh, that singer and the other customizers have sort of uh, helped? Um, oh, absolutely. Help yeah. Process definitely. because they also. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They, I, th- I think they also they look a little back to the to the old days when they when they go. Go uh, on search for inspiration. So it's it's like it's all coming together, and everything is allowed. And it's just well, everything is done for. Them. Yeah, it makes sure, it makes
2: the whole community uh, much more interesting. I think you know. Yeah, um, you, you, you see beautiful things. You see beautiful cars. People people are not uh, uh, you know hesitating to do things that they like yeah. just because other people say you shouldn't do that. You know. So I think that's uh, that's a nice development and interesting enough porsche as a car company as a brand is actually embracing this activity and 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 of course i don't believe there's any other community on this planet that is comparable with the porsche community you know nope. it's such a it's such a close uh community that that uh, that you don't find with any other car brand
0: yeah yeah that's i think that's a that's what a lot of uh, Porsche guys are, are saying who, who have also been uh, you know uh, passionate about other brands that it's something special with the with the Porsche community that i don't know it's just very pleasing and uh, it's a, it's a fun thing to be part of
2: absolutely and i think one of the reasons why the company has this or developed this incredible potential to be what it is today is the fact that they were not mainstream, yeah. but very successful with being not mainstream. You know, in racing and so on. Yeah. You know, that's why that nine eleven is such an important is such an important car for me uh, in, in 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 context with the Porsche brand because it, it, nowadays nobody would create a rear engine car anymore. But Porsche mm-hmm. took that old concept from nineteen sixty three. To a level of performance, you know, if you look at the latest uh, edition of GT3 RS and so on, yeah. you can't believe it's possible. You know,
0: it's it's insane. But but you were there when uh, things were getting uh, tricky. I mean, with with, yeah. with the whole uh, yeah. Hamlin guy who who yeah when, sort of when the. As far as I'm concerned, uh, as far as I know, they you know sort of took inspiration from, from Toyota and and you know to sort of lean the process and and make it smarter and more efficient and cheaper and uh, then, the Boxster and nine and six came along. That those were the days of you. Uh, was,
2: that, was the, that was the, that was the, beginning of the nineties. Yeah. Nine um, eleven had you know developed into uh, the 964 and then the 993 and the 964 particular was an extremely um an extremely expensive car in building and i think also in terms of you know for the customers to have have it serviced and so on because it was it was still the old shape but packed with much more technology and uh, and so in order to get to certain parts, you needed to take many other parts out, you know there's been been this rumor which I I never knew if it was true, but they said if you wanted to change the spark plugs, you had to take the engine out or something like that, you know so so the whole thing was a little bit out of date in terms of modern you know, manufacturing and technology and so on and uh, Porsche was if I'm correctly informed Porsche was actually losing money in the beginning of the 90s yeah. For the first time, yeah. and uh, and it was a serious situation. Yeah. But in my memory, the man who really corrected this situation and turned it completely into a success story was Benno Lindvicking, the new yeah. CEO uh, who was hired at the beginning of the nineties, yeah. and uh, and and he was a, he was a specialist for production processes. Yeah. And um, and as you mentioned, he brought in a team from Toyota yeah. to introduce Kaizen to Porsche. Um, and he did that successfully. But what he did at the same time was, next to the Toyota guys, he, he built up his own team internally who worked with the Toyota guys. But the knowledge transfer from the Kaizen specialists from Toyota to the Porsche group, Took place during that during that uh, process,
1: yeah.
2: and um, and interesting enough, the, at the beginning it was a small group of just a handful of people, but from this group, a new subsidiary of Porsche emerged, which is called Porsche Consulting, mm. and they are specialized in consulting with other companies, all kinds of companies, hospitals. Manufacturing companies, uh, boat builders—you name
1: it—in
2: yeah. process optimization.
1: Yeah,
2: and this company is very, very uh, successful.
1: Yeah. and I
2: think if I'm not if I'm not completely wrong, they are uh, around eight hundred employees now. Okay.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah, it's a very large company now. So, so, and it's a very successful company too. So, from this, from this problem in the early nineties. Not only the car company uh, came out of it like uh, you know phoenix from the ashes uh, uh, in a in a much in a much more profitable uh, uh, way, but also a new company was founded and is and is also successful and contributing to the to the prosperity of the company.
1: Yeah, that's, a,
2: so that's but, but that. That was a big step. That was a very very important step. I mean, this was when when I was sitting with my brother and my parents uh, at dinner table uh, around that time, you know, the subject of, Oh, who is going to take over Porsche? Uh, It was very painful for me to listen to these theories that they had, you know, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) uh, and I always kept saying, no, 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 Porsche is not going to be taken over. Porsche is not going to be taken over, you know, but, uh, but, but it was actually something that a lot of people talked about because, you know, and had it gone further, you know not being successful i think it would have been it would have happened very early
0: yeah i guess that's also why we have to be uh, we have to be very pleased with the boxers with the cayens because they are the cars absolutely. Who, uh, who makes uh, the gt3 uh, rs and and pruding are in business <laughs> without them
2: no absolutely that's that's uh that was the, that was some very smart moves i mean also this this concept of having uh, uh, a large common part uh, uh, portion yeah. between the Boxster and the 911, 996, 996 may not be everybody's favorite, but the 996 was a very successful car. Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. not only did it was it built in 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 a, in a in a significant higher volume than than the 911 used to be before. Hmm. It also because it wasn't such a because it wasn't such a um, polarizing car, you know, I mean, you needed to have, in the, old, in the old days, you needed to be a great driver to be able to handle a 911, you know, the, you know how these, how the, how the sayings went <laughs> and so on. Yeah, yeah you know, you, you need to be very specially good driver to, to, to be able to drive a 911. Now, 996 was not like this anymore. And that's why the 996 was able to get customers from other brands into a Porsche. Yeah. And that's why, the, I think that's why they sold so many cars. Yeah. Um, they deviated from some of the, from the Holy Kralin, if you so want, you know, with the, the deviating from the round headlights. I think there's a lot of people out there who still don't like those other headlights. But yeah. but nevertheless, it was a successful model and it turned Porsche around together with the Boxster. Yeah. But- and that was, that was a good step at the time.
0: But uh, you, you was you were not with Porsche at, at this time.
2: I was with Porsche in the beginning of the of the Boxster 996 development, but I was I had taken over another area of design. Porsche has a long history in the, in working in engineering for third party companies. Yes, and there was one design department within the studio that was actually serving those external customers and this became had become my responsibility Ah. so i was not involved with the 996 and and the 986 um, uh, because i was working on the linde forklift trucks on uh, on on all kinds of products that had nothing to do with porsche cars ah
0: okay okay and that was before you went to audi
2: that's before I changed uh, jobs and uh, and left Porsche for Audi. Correct. So the
0: RS two, uh, you know, uh, that was the RS
2: two right? was my project at Porsche. Still, what?
0: Was <laughs> yes, because, it was my uh, project. Wow, that is also. Uh, I mean, uh, can you can you just tell me a little bit about this project because it's also one of the well, the RS two landed.
2: Uh, yeah, the RS two was. Uh, landed in my lap if you so want because it was a non-Porsche car uh you know it was like it was it was dealt with a little bit as a customer project okay and since all the other colleagues were involved with the Porsche development um and I was I was working on these external projects the RS2 came to my to my studio too and so um I think the reason for the RS two project was that Porsche was looking for uh, capacity
1: yeah.
2: to fill to fill the factory with manufacturing, uh, you know, projects in in, in Yeah, and uh, and then they they sat together with Audi and they came up with this idea of doing this very sporty. Combi, uh yeah. you know, they based, based on the based on the A four or I think it was called Audi eighty at the time. Was it Audi eighty or A four? No, it was A four
1: already. Okay, A4, yeah.
2: yeah, it was A four, A four avant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, and there was a whole lot of technical changes that were applied. It got the it got the five spoke Porsche wheels, the Porsche brakes, I think some other parts of the suspension were Porsche. Yeah. And the engine was modified by Porsche, which was, it was an incredible engine. It was a very small engine, but with the turbo charge, with the turbo charging, it actually had 360 horsepower, I think out of 1.8 liters or something like that. It's it's Uh, insane. It was insane, but it was also uh, quite thirsty.
1: Yeah.
2: I remember I borrowed one of those cars to go to uh, Basel, I think, from Stuttgart to Basel, from Weisach to Basel, which is, a mm. little bit over 200 kilometers yeah and I didn't make it with one tank <laughs> it was like I had to fill it up before I got there so it was uh, somebody told me <laughs> uh, this car this car uses petrol for cooling but I'm not sure if that's true
0: <laughs> <laughs> was that because of low it was a, it wasn't economic or because you had a heavy right foot
2: I think it was uh it was it was both okay. it was a combination. I think the engine actually consumed a lot of petrol but yeah when you if if you put your foot down yeah. it really it really emptied the tank but there was also a relatively small gas tank in this car. Okay. For okay. package reasons. Yeah.
0: That's a, that's a still today very very but it was, attractive and amazing. It was incredible. Yeah. Extremely.
2: My my brother had a, a 964 a 964 at the time. Yes. A nine sixty four, yes. And it was his second nine eleven. And um, he was in completely different business, but it was this was his private car. And since we lived around, you know, in a in a town around Zuffenhausen, yeah. sometimes you would you would see or you would meet those drivers that came out of the factory to do those first thirty kilometers to test the car before they before they were handed to the customer this was a very common thing to do back in the 80s and 90s too. And one day my brother came back to me and he said, and he was very furious and he said, <laughs> hey, you guys need to really think what you're doing. I was standing at the red light next to this Audi Kombi, you know, Audi A4, yeah. and he blew me away, he blew me off on the way, you know, <laughs> in the acceleration. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is this what is this i said well this is a project that uh, that uh, that i was involved with yeah you, you shouldn't do something <laughs> like that you know you shouldn't you shouldn't piss off your porsche 911 customers no. <laughs> that way
0: <laughs> amazing but uh what a car i mean just just an insane car really and also uh, wasn't it like the one of the first super super station cars uh, ever built i mean it was it was yes, like it uh, was. you know yeah. the the first uh, Family car that could exactly kill off a a nine eleven. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I think so. And you know, a funny story is also. Um, I mean, you can imagine. You know, here is two companies that were not in the same group back then. You think about that. You know, there's yeah. Audi and Porsche. They had different clients. They had a past of corporate of corporation. You know, in the history of both companies, but but they were basically two different companies. Yeah. But. Um, All of a sudden, there's this project, um, this common project. So I was quite amazed because there were some meetings, the larger project meetings, you know, the high-level project meetings, where both CEOs from Audi and Porsche were involved. And uh, let me just say that one of the most discussed subjects (laughs) was the logo that was going to go on the car. Because... The discussion was how much Porsche or how much Audi is on that logo. you remember that logo on the back with the sort of the slanted yes, uh, yes, yes. bars and it had Audi rings on it and it says Porsche on it and it says RS2 on it? Yeah, I'm looking at
0: it right so now on, a comu- on my computer.
2: <laughs> I think I spent more time designing that logo than the rest of the car, to be honest. Oh yeah, of course. because Because it had to be redesigned several times, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: And you had but it
2: was a cool the, project. I remember that as a cool project. And the funny thing is, that when I when I changed, when I when I joined Audi, you know,
0: yeah.
2: uh, after this project, um, I, I was then working. Uh, uh, I was head of exterior design, and I was working on the on the uh, RS four, which was a pure Audi project yes. then. Yes, but but the RS thing was kind of established by that time
0: would you say today that, that because of the RS2 project uh, you, you, you got the job with Audi or
2: no 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 that, that was a different reason um, okay. the, the reason uh, the reason I, I I went to join Audi was actually my friend and colleague Peter Schreier um, Peter had become head of Audi design
1: yeah.
2: um, and uh, the reason for him you know to look around and hire people uh, was that his former boss Hartmut Varkus had ch- had uh, moved on to VW um and apparently he took quite a few people with him yeah. um from from the Audi studio okay. um and so all of a sudden uh, Peter was there but he didn't have the group of people around him to run the studio properly so you know, I mean, we we go back to college time, college days and so on. And he asked me if that would be something I would be interested in. In the beginning, I said, no, you know, I'm a Porsche guy. You know, I don't think I'm going to change companies anymore and stuff like that. But then the whole thing started eating on me a little bit. Yeah. Do you, do you really want to spend your entire life at one company and, and stuff like that? And maybe you should, you know, maybe you should take the challenge and so on. So at the end of the day, I took the job. And I must say, I don't regret it. It, no. was, a different, it was a different culture at Audi, yeah. uh, but, but uh, there was a lot of things I learned in this job in the, in the three years or uh, yeah, two and a half, three years um, that I couldn't have learned at Porsche because Audi was a manufacturer that had a much higher volume. The discussions with engineers about new parts was a completely different one than with, with than at Porsche. At Porsche, to, to 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 spend money on a new tool for a body panel or something like that was always a huge thing because <laughs> the numbers were so small yeah, that the tool needed to. I mean, look at the G model. Yeah, yeah. The
1: yeah.
2: body was produced in more or less the same yeah. uh, in the same shape for fifteen years from nineteen. 19- seventy
1: four
2: to nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And at Audi, if you said, Well, can we change this fender? Because you know, if we want to do a facelift, maybe we should do this. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. You know? Oh really? Yes, because <laughs> the tool if the tool needs to be redone for the same for the same car anyway, you know? Yeah. Because the, the volume is so high that the tool is used up.
1: Yeah, of
2: course. So <laughs> so this was a completely different uh this was a completely different perspective. For, for a designer yeah. At the same time There were more restrictions too okay. You know, back in the 80s and 90s Porsche, well in the 90s Not so much anymore Because after the Kaizen thing was introduced mm. um, After work was not Was not accepted anymore But when I joined Porsche in the 70s and, and the beginning of the 80s It was totally common that If a car didn't come out of production As perfect As it was supposed to be there was a whole bunch of people who actually fixed this, you know? Okay, okay. At Audi, there was not even a discussion about something like that. Okay. Anything that comes out at counting point eight has to be finished. Yeah. And so, the amount of rake we could get on a plan view of a rear deck lid or something like this was always limited by the engineers who said, no, we can't do that because if we do that, then we have like, you know, three out of ten... Decklets uh, are we have to throw away yeah. um, because the 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 um, the, uh, the forming process is not safe, you know. So yeah. Yeah. we had some restrictions too, but there was also certain liberty that I enjoyed. Yeah.
0: But those were also exciting years at Audi because I remember when they uh, when the change from uh, from Audi 100 to A6 and uh, also the same on you know gave the name. Yeah, a, but the A4? A6
2: was the A6 was already done. My pro, my main project in exterior design in, in in this period of time was the new A4. Yeah, Uh the one that was a little bit more hard edge that came out in ninety nine, I think.
1: Yeah,
2: um, and 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 the A8. Oh,
1: oh,
2: yeah, yeah. The A8 A8 was was a very important project because Audi had just um, established itself. In the in the X class level, so to speak, in the in the upper class, uh, and they and they were very special cars because they they had an aluminum body. Yeah, yeah. And the first A8, the first pure A8. I'm not talking about that A8 that was uh, eight cylinder in a, in a in a more or less an A6 body uh, or an Audi 100 body, so to speak. Uh, but the first A8 was a very. Um, I would say, a very conservatively designed car still. Um, And the second one, I think it was called the D2 at the time internally, um, was supposed to be showing more character and more Audi-esque design. Um, The new design, you you have to remember, not only the A6, was already on the market but also the TT. Yeah, uh, sure. was, was the TT was just about to come out when I joined Audi. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, that was in 97 98 I think the TT came out. So, um, so there was a new design language and this new A8 was supposed to tap into this new design language and also you know, establish Audi as an upper uh, uh, D-class uh, manufacturer um, even more than the than the predecessor. Yeah, but and I remember. To be honest, I remember. Uh, you know, uh, the car that came out came out after I left. Yeah,
1: um,
2: but I remember one design model. I mean, Audi had studios everywhere in in in, in Sigis and in in California and so on. Yeah. And um, one car, one uh, scale model, and then su- su- succeeding the scale model, a full-size model, came from the Californian studio. Mm. And it, it was the most influential model, I would say, for what finally came out on the road. My opinion is, unfortunately, it lost a little bit of the advancedness of that model in California, I think they could have been a little bit more brave. Um, yeah. But the, the last bit of the design process, I didn't, I couldn't follow anymore because I had already rejoined Porsche back back then. Okay. But uh, but uh, uh, the, the the Californian model was very very strong, very strong. Mm. Derek Jenkins was the designer of that car. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, then- it was a cool very cool, very clean very clean um, it was a, it was a, it was a beautiful design beautiful design that didn't sort of use a lot of those stereotype um, you know additions that you have on a luxury car like a lot of chrome stuff and so on yeah. it was a very sober car but it looked very superior in a way it, it, it was just a it was just a beautiful a beautiful design yeah and and a lot of it actually was in the a eight but like i said you know a little bit of a little bit of was lost too yeah, in the process
0: i think the, the a8 has been beautiful all the way all, also when the the, the, the space frame uh, uh, audi space frame was introduced and it's just yeah spectacular car from, from the no, it was
2: a great car it was a great car i had the pleasure of driving an a8 when i was at audi and it was a fantastic a fantastic uh, um, Fantastic
0: car to drive. Yeah, also one of the first uh, brands to cooperate with the Danish uh, Bang Olufsen on uh, on stereo uh, later on. That's right. Yeah, I that's remember, right. Yeah, remember they, those? Uh, you know, treble um, treble uh, units uh, came and they would uh, ascent from the. You know, yeah. What what do you call that? Uh, you know, with just just under the front mirror, you would have these triple. Uh, Units coming up when you when you turned on the <laughs> on the radio, amazing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> just amazing, just amazing, and uh, yeah, it it's like a Audi was sort of aluminium designed. It's it's like a, like you say, uh, a lot of uh, these uh, British cars were very chrome, chromey But I've always uh, thought of Audi as as aluminium. It has uh, this aluminium surface. Uh, to it, that, that yeah, that has been there ever since. I still, I still think it's like in there's a special aluminium expression with, with with Audi still that that came from those days. Just um, yeah. well, it was very it's brave like, and yeah. new
2: at the time, you know. Yeah, but, and I think Audi did a few things very right, you know, in order to establish itself in in a more um, in a more prestigious market. Yeah. The four wheel drive and the aluminium were just perfect vehicles to back it up, you know, yes. with technology and not only by marketing or or saying that uh, how, how great the car is. It actually they actually had a lot of content yep. that was, you know, understandable for the customer. Yeah. Still, I remember when, when I joined Howdy they were in the middle of trying to, you know, play in the same league as BMW and, and Mercedes and there were always cars from those companies in our studio as comparison vehicles yeah. and it was it was a bit of a it wasn't that you had to fight it, it, this this stuff doesn't come overnight because it has to do with image you know yeah. and and you need you need to perform over a long period of time in order to get the credibility in that class yeah so but i think now you know audi is on the same level as as the other two companies and has been for a long time
0: yeah yeah yeah, I mean, uh durch Technik. through technique. Technik, yeah, genau. I guess that's uh, that's that's what you what you what you say. They, I mean, with the with the Quattro system back in the days, that was killing everyone in Raleigh, I, I just they've always been uh, spectacular, but
2: a uh, very smart move of Mr. Pierre, I have to say. Yes. Very. Smart.
0: And uh, Mr. Royal. Too. And
2: then, uh, <laughs> you, you know, other than those things, it's. It becomes so different, uh, difficult to differentiate yourself, yeah. you know, from a competitor because yeah. everybody's playing in the same field. Yeah. But uh, but with those things, aluminum and four wheel drive, Audi had a really clean, you know, separation from everybody else, which was great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But but then you uh, then you moved back to a Porsche. Was that because uh, they told you that they were going to build the Carrera GT or something like that? Uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, more or less, it wasn't the GT, it was the fact that there uh, was a studio in California and Porsche was looking for somebody to run that studio. Yes. And um, as, as I heard from rumors or other company members, the the, the head of R&D at the time was Horst Yeah.
1: and
2: um, he didn't want he didn't want somebody from inside the Porsche studio to run the studio in California. I don't know why he wanted somebody from outside, but he wanted somebody who knew Porsche. So that was a lucky, lucky strike. So to speak, so to speak, because I was, I I knew Porsche, but I wasn't at Porsche at the time. And so, um, when I came to California, um, in February, uh, 2000, February 2000. Yeah. Um, in fact, they did just, they had just started the Caro GT project. Ooh. And so this project was accompanying us all the way. Uh, first presentation was like six weeks later uh, in a hangar in Santa Monica where the whole board flew in for a day. And uh, uh, looked at the exterior and interior design models. They signed off on the project, and then um, and then uh, they uh, uh, then they decided later on, much later on, they decided to build the Courage GT in production as a production car. But but um, well, it's interesting because in the, in the Courage GT book, yeah. uh, the Californian uh, episode is not mentioned in the original book. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that was, a. The people were worried at the time that the car needed to definitely be made in Germany and so on. And, yeah. and, uh, a lot of, yeah, I think, uh, some of the executives were a little bit worried that, uh, the American story wouldn't serve that, that, uh, narrative, you know? Yeah, yeah. So they just basically left it away, which we were a little bit unhappy about because obviously that was our part, you know? Yeah, and it was the part where the car was actually created. Um, and uh, uh, but the Triple O magazine uh, a couple of years ago did a very very long and very well researched uh, article about the Carrera GT being born in California. So that was oh. cool, you know. And they interviewed all the involved people, the project manager, Gustl Achleitner, who was later on the, well, who was the um, uh, platform uh, chief of the 911, um, was the project chief of, of the Courier GT as well. Yeah. Uh, Tony Hatter, who later on oh, yeah. um, took the Courier GT show car and turned it into a production car in design. Yeah. Um, of course, Grant Larsen, who was the designer of the exterior, yeah. Um, Mark Clark, who was the designer of the interior, and so on. So, so all of our team got a little bit of um, recognition um, for the for the work we did in California. And this was a very intense project, I can tell you, because I mean, we were. This was the last time I worked all nighters, you know, because because this this project wouldn't have been finished on time. And when it was finished, and the cars. We're ready. We built two cars in California. One was a runner, one was a pusher.
0: Yeah. What does that mean?
2: And uh, uh, yeah, the, of course, the, the Yeah, of
1: course.
2: Yeah, one was a pusher. The pusher was actually on the stand in Paris yes. in October 2000. Yeah. And the runner was being driven into the Louvre at 6 o'clock in the morning by, by Walter Royal.
1: Yes.
2: Um, and 400 journalists were waiting in the rain, and it was pouring down that morning. Yeah. When this screaming Carrera GT came in, you know, it was still dark outside. It was, it was an incredible setting. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and w- when, when we had the presentation in March, uh, we went for dinner in the evening with Dr. Bede King and that's when he told us that we're not going to build one, we're actually going to build two cars. Yeah. So, so, um. Uh, and we said, why? Well, yeah, because he wanted that scenario. He wanted one car to be already sitting in the, in the booth at that Porsche in, in the exhibition, and the other car needed to be a driver. So it was a pretty stressful period of time, but it was fun at the same time, because we knew we were working on one of the most exciting projects ever at Porsche. Yes.
0: I, uh, I remember, uh, do you know Harry Metcalf, Harry's Garage, uh, Evo man? I heard of him, yeah. Yeah, uh, he... Uh he he does this extremely um, great YouTube channel where he's uh, testing a lot of cars. He has a big collection himself, and he uh, he has uh, he tested the Carrera GT uh, a lot uh, some years ago, and he, he told the story of being uh, at the press no the press the release uh, with the Louvre, and he was just completely blown away with with this car. Uh, just uh, just a fascinating story. It's yeah. So yeah. Nobody knew
1: what wow. Porsche would
2: be showing. That, that was the big thing, you know. No. Nobody knew what Porsche would show. <laughs> so uh, it, when I heard about this before, uh, before the actual launch, um, uh, I asked the, uh, the the press chief of Porsche, Mister um, uh, Hunger at the time. I said, "Well, uh, do you think that anybody will turn up if you don't tell them what to expect?" <laughs> And he very quietly and totally convinced said, "They will come,
0: <laughs> all of them." <laughs> and they did. And it was, it was true. They did. <laughs> but but uh, is is uh, at this point uh, this is uh, around the year two thousand two three maybe
2: no this was uh, two thousand it, it was uh, uh, October two thousand was the Paris show where the GT was shown. Ah, okay. Wh- what? So we actually built. Two cars designed and built. Two cars in less than a year.
0: Yeah, because I saw them on your Insta uh, Instagram um, uh, account. I was just uh, a long time ago when uh, when I knew uh, that when you said yes to you know talking to me, I went through all the pictures and I saw this picture of you with one of two special career GGS. And
2: yeah yeah yep, there was. Wow, I was surprised to see. I was surprised to see the. One of, one of the show cars yeah. uh, <laughs> it, shown at Laguna Seca in, uh, at Boat Reunion. Yes. <laughs> um, I was surprised for two reasons. First of all, <laughs> to see the car, because, and you can recognize the car immediately because the production car never had fog lights. No. But the, the two show cars had fog lights. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is those show cars are, every surface on those show cars was different than the production car. Yeah. But the trans the translation that Tony did from the show cars to the production car was so fantastic, yeah, that if you see the car side by side, yeah, you don't really see the difference. But there is no surface in the same place. It's amazing. Wow. You know? So so I saw this show car and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, the second reason I couldn't believe it is because actually, um, after the show cars were shown and the Porsche had made the decision that the cars, the car will go in production, yep. uh, the board, I think Dr. Wiedeking himself, if I'm not completely mistaken, ordered the two show cars to be destroyed. Okay. And and, wow. some people in the company had the ball <laughs> not to destroy both of them. <laughs> <laughs> So, um the so one <laughs> car survived yes and uh, and car. later on I learned that uh, that mr. Seinfeld purchased that yes, car exactly and uh, and the car that I saw was it was the car that that, that Seinfeld owned um, and after Seinfeld tried to sell it I think Porsche decided that they would Prefer Kanepa to own the car uh, because, first of all, they knew how to look after something like this. Yeah. Secondly, they were very trustworthy uh, not to do something stupid because the car is basically a, a a design prototype. If you you know, it's not really made to be driven fast or anything. No. it's a design prototype. So, in the wrong hands, it could cause some trouble. You know, yeah. But um, but Kanepa, uh, I think, is a great a great uh, address to. To have this car, and and they brought it to Rangeport, and I thought it was fantastic. And this is where the picture comes from in my in my uh, in my Instagram account. It actually it actually brought back a lot of memories.
1: Yeah,
0: that's that's uh, that's. But, but what were you involved in? Uh, at, I mean, what was what was your position in uh, when you came back to Porsche? You you didn't mention. In, in
2: I was the head of design in the studio in California.
0: Ah, okay, okay, wow. Wow, so you were, yes uh, and,
2: and in the beginning that we, we, we were two uh, two uh, uh, guys at the top I was head of design and there was a, another guy who was head of the business side yeah
1: Um
2: Neil, Neil broker yeah
1: um,
2: and then I think a year later after the current GT project Neil joined BMW design works and I became the single um, head of the studio um, covering both areas design and business
1: yeah
2: and and um, And, uh, uh, that was actually a project that should have been, you know, an advertising project for our studio to also generate external, uh, design work. Mm -hmm. But in the last minute, Porsche decided that, um, the whole Californian story of the Courage GT was not to be made too public. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I said before, it's also yeah. the reason why it didn't turn up in the book. Yeah. So, yeah, all of those players are no longer in the companies. I can, I can tell that story now, but we were a little bit, you know, annoyed by this because, uh, first of all, it would have helped our studio tremendously in, uh, you know, having, having additional credibility with external customers and we did a lot of projects for outside, uh, for outside the customers, but we also continued working for Porsche. So, for example, we did the entire production development for the first Cayman in that studio. Ah,
0: wow! Yes, right. the comp- yeah, the new design line, so to speak, for the for the nine nine seven. Yeah. I mean,
2: the uh, um, uh Cayman basically was uh engineered body engineering took place in Troy Michigan which was Porsche engineering at the time yeah and the project management was in Weissach in Germany and the design group was in California and i can truly say that we worked around the clock
1: yeah
2: it, we we were finished
1: in the evening yeah
2: we sent our data to Germany
1: yeah
2: and to Troy And by the time we came back in the morning, we already had the answers to any questions we would ask or any input we would ask for. (laughs) So this was a really very efficiently um, organized project. And I think, um, if I'm not completely mistaken, it was one of the, uh, on the cost side, it was one of the best projects uh, uh, Porsche did uh, back in those days. Because we we were working very efficiently.
0: And what a car. But, but it's, It was a
2: nice, yeah, it, it brought out a new car, and it was a very, I thought it was a, was a super, you know, exciting car. My, my dream was always somehow during my time at Porsche to be involved with a successor of the 904. Yeah. Because Porsche had never, um, again, uh, sort of created something along the lines of the 904, but probably the Cayman is probably the closest thing to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I was—I've always been thinking uh, the Massa as a successor to to the five five O Spider, but but I guess you're right. Uh, Nine oh four is actually uh, closer related uh, for the Cayman, but uh, I mean exceptional cars, extremely. But isn't it correct the interior of of the very first Cayman is uh, identical to the generation two. 2004 and four, five uh, Boxster and also the interior that became the 997 interior.
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, basically, um, well, normally, when a company comes out with a sports car line that will com- consist of a coupe and a, and a cabrio, yeah. normally the coupe comes first. Yeah. And when the cabrio comes out, the cabrio is a little bit more expensive and it, it features more or less the same Design, but it's a cabriolet Hmm. and and porsche was the other way around the Boxster was already there
1: yeah
2: and then porsche decided to do a closed version a coupe version of that car
1: yeah
2: and this this is one of the reasons why porsche is the only company where the coupe is more expensive than the cabriolet yeah
0: (laughs) but they've
1: they've always
2: always at the time i don't even i don't even know if that's still true but at the time it was
0: yeah it's also the only company where you buy a car with uh, less features and you pay more. Then you get a nylon strap for, for the door handle and you pay uh, extra.
2: <laughs> oh, you're talking about the, the, the GT cars. Yeah, yeah
0: but <laughs> I, I've always been... I mean, you have a pretty strong brand when you are able to do that, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, but there is also a customer base who loves... Yes. Uh, the lightweight approach and, you know, the racy approach and stuff like that. And, yeah. and quite frankly, um, it's, not, it's not super easy to change these things once you have certain things installed in a car. All, it's costly, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's costly to change the door panels and to do this and that and to take weight out, um, you know, particularly when you start doing that by introducing Um, uh, exotic materials like carbon fiber or aluminum or, you know, all all of those things. Yeah. So, or titanium, yeah. Yeah. So, this is basically, uh, yeah, that's something that Porsche always did very well.
0: Yeah, extremely well. Like no one else, really. True. Um, Do you you have, like, um, a deadline, I have to ask you now? Um, well I guess uh, my is
2: not outside in the meantime so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's going crazy but maybe maybe we have another 10 15 minutes if you want
0: yes but uh, or otherwise it's because I uh, um, I don't know if you if you maybe would uh, want to uh, do like a, s- a second session because you have so many cars on your Instagram and uh, I mean you have there is an there is a f- Three fifty-six uh, speedster that looks completely original. There's, uh, 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 you know, RSR car that looks original. Are those your cars?
2: Uh, those are my cars. Yeah, but the speedster I sold. The speedster I don't own anymore. Um, I uh. I still have a coupe from 1956. Uh, the R uh, Outlaw, I would call it. It's not a real RSR, of course, uh, but it's it's uh, it's a very capable. Uh, uh, clone uh, or outlaw, as I call it, um, it's a fun yep. car to drive. We can, we I'd love to to speak a little bit about those things too, and we can do a second session if that's something that you guys want that you want to do.
0: Yes, but I think that would be extremely, um, yeah, fun. So if if you if we can find the uh, time for 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 session number two, I I would be very pleased because I think you uh, there is so much to ask you. There's so much for you to tell me. <laughs> I mean, and this. uh I wasn't really sure if you were involved in the Carrera G G project, but that is just one of the most spectacular cars in. I think it's uh, you know, yeah, on my list, it's it's uh, close to uh, to the McLaren F1. Really, it's just insane.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you, I don't know if you have this, if you have the Triple O magazine, but um, I don't, I don't, I don't remember which edition it is. Maybe I can send you a. I can send you a copy of that article because it's really well researched and they and it tells you the whole story
1: yeah
0: amazing
2: let me see if I've got that somewhere
0: oh yeah I would love to I'd love to read that but have you ever been uh, have you ever driven one of those like with the- I've only been in, I uh, no
2: no unfortunately not. I've always I've only been in the passenger seat I've been in the passenger seat and the driver was Ham Guy <laughs> and we were on the test track
0: in Weissach and he spun
1: it.
0: Of course. And was that pre- I, I I've I've seen a Jay Leno uh, do the same on a. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think he's in very good company. <laughs> yes, and uh, of course there's been some really really tragic um, accidents with this car, but I think Le- Leno said that it was actually just something with the suspension that had to be changed. It was, or, or maybe just the tires. It wasn't really anything uh...
2: i i don't know about <laughs> those things but uh but it, the, the, the word is the word that goes round is that the clutch is very difficult to use because it's a yeah uh it's it's very sensitive somehow and um expensive if you have to exchange it yeah um but uh, but also uh the, the amount of horsepower on a rear wheel driven car yes it's just uh, something that you want to be able to handle, you know. I mean, you need to. I mean, that car is definitely, <laughs> you know, the story of the nine of the the current GT is that it's actually based on on a on a Le Mans uh, long distance race car that Porsche had already built. Yeah, and uh, and then the company decided not to go to Le Mans. Yeah, but to take the engine and some of the um, technical components and turn it into a road car. So the car has real race heritage in terms of its concept, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Now, I, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm not neutral in this case, of course, because, you know, I, I was too involved, but for me it's still, it's, it's probably the most exciting car that Porsche ever came out with. It's just, it was yeah. just something very, very special yeah. uh, when it when it was
0: launched. I completely agree. I uh, everything about this car is, um, yeah. It's 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 actually hard to find words because it's so it's so extremely beautiful and yet it's so extremely you know uh, mechanical and raw and racy. But
2: yeah, yeah, everything's still um, analog yeah. in this car, which is <laughs> which is probably why yeah. we like it so much. there's you have to be the guy in control, and uh, no big helpers, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and that's kind of a cool feeling, you know, if you're if you're the guy in, in command.
0: It uh, can also get you in trouble. I, I was just about to, because I think that 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 can you know just closingly bring me to another thing that is that is the belly tank uh, racer you have because that is a completely insane concept as well that uh, actually is very similar to the Carrera GG because it's just like a tank and then four four Uh, wheels. So you you must really have a mechanical uh, involvement with the...
1: (laughs) I I do,
2: I do. I do, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far (laughs) and say it's a similar thing as (laughs)
0: the Carrero GG to be honest. No, but (laughs) (laughs) the the visceral, uh, the rawness, the, you know, the mechanical... The rawness,
2: yeah, in a way. (laughs) And and, and certainly uh, a... a certain aspect of beauty. I mean, what what yes. always fascinated me about those belly tanks was the fact that the shape is this perfect aerodynamic shape that yeah. was actually designed for a completely different purpose yeah. but for good aerodynamics for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and for some petrol heads in the United States yeah. after the Second World War to take these drop tanks and to put some V8 engines in them and try to see how fast you can go in a in in that teardrop shape, uh, I mean, that is just incredible. It's incredible. But at the same time, you know, when we were kids, we had little wooden race cars that were just the same. Four wheels, two axles, and a slick body in the middle. And that was it. And this simplicity is what fascinates me, I think, most about those belly tanks, apart from the fact that once you sit in one and this engine uh, goes in the back, it's a bit of a death trap, you know. I mean, it's like <laughs> <laughs> it—it doesn't offer a lot of safety, that's for
0: sure. But it's—it's. It's, uh, I, I actually I have been thinking about uh, why 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 uh, why this uh, why this car would be of interest to you. And I also spoke uh, a little bit, uh, well, I didn't speak, but I wrote uh, on the messenger with Frank about this. And and I just think I on this podcast I've been mentioning Jerry Seinfeld too many times. But I remember once he said that. He was fascinated with Porsche because back from the Gmunt days and all the way up until now, it's it's they've always been uh, trying to, you know, what is the most simple and efficient way to, to design a car without any, you know, nothing uh, extravagant, just, just to cover the wheels and to cover the engine and the chassis, the most efficient way to do it. And I think that's that's what you just described. These Billy Tank uh, cars are just... Well, simple.
2: Absolutely. I mean, the belly tank is is probably the simplest thing on four wheels that you can think about. You know, it's it's. Yeah. But but it's also you know what, and what's fascinating about it is, it's also a very serious machine at the same time.
1: Yeah.
0: Because you, you can go fast. But are you coming to Römer in uh, to drive these cars in the summer? Well, of course, I will. Oh my God! Will you bring? I already
2: a, I already registered. Oh, And I a got a cash
0: Okay. Do you have a special life insurance?
2: I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not I'm not worth <laughs> that much, so. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Oh, well, still. I think I will be there no, because uh, Frank Frank told me a little bit about you uh, probably would be there, I think. Is it true that there is some other guy in the Porsche family coming maybe? Well,
2: um if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the Porsche brothers, uh, the sons of uh, F.A. Of, of Porsche, he bought himself um, a hot rod, and he's thinking of going there as well. Oh my God!
0: It would be Porsche royalty. Excellent.
2: Well, I don't know. I don't know about <laughs> that. Well, certainly not not not, not with me. But uh, but uh, it, it, you know, they're all, at the end of the day, they're all real. Uh, petrol heads you know that's what they are you know i mean look look at Ferdi porsche who's organizing this ice race here in lmc yeah i mean this is all you know he's he's so into cars and you know and 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 i I think it's fantastic that he's actually doing this you know and actually using some of the local history and turns it in the middle of winter into a great motorsport event
0: Yes because I have uh, I remember he was also uh, he was an, a guest on the on the Spike's car radio uh, I think it was uh, the year before last year and so so that's actually the first time I became aware of him he told uh, told the story Yeah I heard
2: a, I heard a very a very good and interesting podcast with him on a podcast that's called uh, Alte Schule Do you know that one uh, Old school?
0: No is it in German
2: it's in German yes ah. it's in German and it and it and it has it has a lot of super interesting people um, talking about uh, yeah let me call it the good old days of motor cars yeah yeah
1: um,
2: but but also young guys like Ferdi you know who brings back mm. some part mm. of the history to modern times and combines the two things you know the past and the present yeah uh, and I mean in, on his ice race he has he has the latest uh, uh, super machine from Audi what is this thing called uh, um, you know this all roads uh, this this, this, this um, what is you called something like unicorn or something like that I, I can't remember right now oh. but but he has oh. this like super high tech Audi off road vehicle there and at the same time you see some beach buggies from California some Manx Myers yeah. Manx buggies you yeah. know yeah. And, 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 and just the variety of all of those things yeah. the only common thing is they all have wheels and the motor, you know. But
0: that is. Uh, and Formula One. Yeah, everything. Formula One
2: cars were running. Uh, Formula E cars were running here in Tel. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, because it's in the. It's in your city, isn't it? It's in my city here in Tel Aviv. Yes. And why? Why is it that you live there now? Is that? Is that because of your? Uh, you you moved back from California to to. Uh, well.
2: Yeah, I uh, when when uh, when Ferdinand Alexander Porsche retired in uh, some twenty years ago. Yeah, um, uh, they were looking for uh, somebody to run his studio here in ah. um This is not a car studio. Uh, predominantly, uh, this is a studio for product design. Yeah, for watches and uh, uh, everything
0: else. Isn't
2: it? exactly? Yeah, um, beautiful. Uh, And that was the moment for me to leave California and to come to ZLMC with my family. Ah. Um, And uh, I've been doing this job for the last 19 and a half years, and I retired last April. Yes,
0: I know. I I, I read that. So now you're just driving cars all day long?
2: Well, more or less, yeah. (laughs) No, 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 I got a lot of, I got a lot of jobs. My wife has jobs for me too, don't worry about
1: that.
0: I know, I know that problem. <laughs> well, I'm sure she will keep you sane and, uh, yeah, involved in the family.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, it's a nice a nice uh, community, the Porsche community. You can never leave it, you know. Once you're part of it, you will never leave it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's very cool. But, uh, and now that there are quite a few events here in Salamse, and we have, we have beautiful roads here up to the Großglockner directly. Like, yes. you know, 10 minutes from here is the Großglockner yeah. Um Beautiful road in the summer. You're in Italy in two hours from here. So it's a great place to yeah, be.
0: It's amazing. Uh, I, I actually just spoke to my wife uh, earlier this today about uh, going to... To Austria in uh, maybe not this summer but next summer because I've only been in Vienna once and she's never been there and uh, you know I, I see so many uh, YouTube videos for people driving the old Porsches around the, your neighborhood so I think uh, I think at some point we have to go there because it's just you have to
2: yes and you have to tell me before you come
0: yes yes we will we will we will I will have to, I will I would love to see your garage because it looks uh, it looks insanely good okay, but uh, <laughs> should we should we make an appointment uh, or, or just i can just uh, we can just write back and forth if maybe there's a time uh, i don't know within the next week or next couple of months that we can uh, maybe dig into Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Let me know when it's good for you. I'm you know I'm pretty much available I'll be traveling in March uh, from uh, from the 6th to the 21st I'll be in South America so it's probably not going to be so ideal to do it then but let's say in april april would be a good time
0: yes let's uh, let's make that a deal and uh, okay thank you very much it was a true pleasure i really really uh, enjoyed this uh, i must say so i'm looking forward to uh, talking to you again
2: super well thank you thank you for you know doing this podcast talk (laughs) and uh yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to remember things sometimes. So that was a good opportunity. Yeah, and
0: you have so many. I mean, you've been uh, that. That is probably. I'm a little bit, um, you know, not baffled, but you have been in the in the Porsche factory around those guys that I've been reading about for the past fifteen years. You know, when you when you go into, I've I've read the Project Nine Two Eight the book. Uh, you know, when I bought my Nine Two Eight. You know all the yeah. research, You it's like you find, you can always find a new chapter in the Porsche legacy. So so we're talking to to a, to someone like you who has been there, who has seen it, and uh, yeah, you you made it. I mean, just like Hans and and uh, his father, it's just. I like to I like to hear these stories, and I know there are so many who who, who really enjoy. Uh, yeah, there's
2: some, there's some more stories with with Lapin um, <laughs> <yes. laughs> <laughs> when he was my birth. <laughs> but maybe we can uh, we can find another time to talk about that.
0: We can make an homage to Lapin uh, story well, or podcast. But thank you very much. I will leave you now, uh, so you can go back to the family and uh, take care. Enjoy the Okie doke.
2: Thanks very much. Take care and uh, talk to you soon.
0: Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.